We've been talking about the names and titles of Jesus, and tonight we come to a name of Jesus, a title of Jesus. Starts with the letter E, and this is some, some deep water that we're going to swim in tonight. And I'm glad that we have a church full of people who know how to swim and swim in the deep water. Isaiah 42, verse 1 says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard. In the street a bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. How is Jesus Christ, and that's who, that's who we're reading about in these verses, how is Jesus Christ going to establish judgment in the earth? How will he teach his law from one end of this world to the other? He will do so by his absolute power. For 2,000 years since John the Baptist, well, from John the Baptist to the rapture and then on through the tribulation with his tribulation witnesses, the Lord has lifted up his voice and cried and called for men to repent and lifted up his voice and cried and called for men to come unto him and be saved and lifted up his voice and cried for men to, to forsake their idols and their vanities and trust him. But when it comes time to establish truth and righteousness and a kingdom on this earth, he'll not use any of those means or any of those tactics. He will come with his strong arm and by his power, and establish it in a day. But what we want to notice tonight as we look at this designation of Jesus, mine elect, according to verse number one, is a person. It is not a group of people. It is not a collection of people. It is not millions of foreordained saved ones. It is one single individual person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's elect. Now the biblical doctrine of election is a simple one. Yet men have debated its meaning for thousands of years. As usual, the reasons for the division are threefold. Number one, sincere men approach the Bible with a preconceived idea of what it teaches, and then look in the Bible for support for what they've already decided they believe. For example, John Calvin was a Roman Catholic priest. He believed in baby sprinkling. He believed in the state church. He may have left the Catholic church, but he never departed from the teachings of his papist forefathers. In the Roman Catholic Church, the official doctrine of that church going all the way back to Augustine and Jerome, two of the pillars upon which that church rests, is a fatalistic view borrowed from Greek philosophers that God, whoever He is and wherever He is, decided before He made the first man or the first woman that He would make some to be saved and some to be damned, and He predetermined 
salvation for the saved and damnation for the unsaved before anybody was made or born. That's not Calvinism. It's not Jeromeism. It's Greek philosophy that Calvin brought forward into the Protestant Reformation. The second reason why this, this uh, doctrine is controversial is egotistical men approach the Bible with a preconceived idea it is incorrect. And so where the Bible crosses their theology, they just tell their congregation or their hearers or themselves that in that place the Bible is translated incorrectly or the Bible is in error or those verses shouldn't be in the Bible altogether. Why let the Bible interfere with what you believe? So you just, rather than amend your belief to match the Bible, you amend the Bible to match your belief. If you don't believe that, you, you, if you'll listen, you'll hear the Calvinist minister talk about the sovereign God. Sovereign doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. It's not a Bible term. It's a philosophical term or a theological term. It's not a Bible term. God so loved the world of the elect that He gave His only begotten Son. There's no Bible on the face of the earth that says that. But all Calvinists will read that into the Bible. And, that's, so that's what, and then thirdly, careless men take verses from the Bible and build their theology on verses divorced from their context rather than reading and studying Bible passages so the Bible explains what the particular verses are about that they are using for their philosophy or for their doctrine. Now, notice from Isaiah 42, God has an elect. Someone is God's elect. It is not Presbyterians, it is not Baptists, it is not Calvinists, it is not the foreordained. It is one person, He, He, I, shall, I have put my spirit upon Him, He shall bring forth judgment of the Gentiles, He shall not cry. It's an individual, it's one person. That person is Jesus Christ. Now look in your Bible in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter number 4. I'm not elect. You're not elect. Jesus is elect. What you got to do is figure out a way to get joined to Him or get in Him. Then and only them, then could you get in, into heaven on the basis of election. Luke chapter 4, verse number 16. And He came to Nazareth, this is Jesus, verse 14, and Jesus returned... Verse 15, and he taught. Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Jesus didn't skip the assembly. He was there. I guarantee you he didn't learn anything. I guarantee you he went to, he went to synagogue with people that weren't as good as he was. <laughs> but he went. There are probably a lot of people there he could have found fault with. But it was his custom to be there. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. In the eyes of all them, all them, that were uh, 
in the synagogue were fastened on him. Don't you like that? I mean, they are, they are locked in. They want to know what he's going to say. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bearing witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Now, isn't that an amazing thing? Jesus Christ started, the, the very place that he started his public ministry, he, he's, John's identified him as a Lamb of God, and, and now he's gone to the wilderness to be tempted. He comes out of the wilderness, and here's where he begins. He begins by going to the prophetic writings and saying, I'm the person the prophets wrote about. I'm the person to whom the prophecies pointed. I am the one who is fulfilling the promises made to your fathers. He just starts right there, and he, and he just uh, over and over. How many times would he say, the course of the next three and a half years, as it is written, as it is written, as it is written, as it is written, and point to himself as being the fulfillment of those prophecies. Now, what about the one regarding the election? First Peter, First Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, Let's start reading here at verse 4. Now let's start at 3. Let's start at 1. I want to get to context. 2-1. Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming is unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold. I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Now, a second time, once in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament, the, the man, Christ Jesus, is identified by God as the elect. Do you know how many times saved Christians are referred to as the elect? That would be zero. Do you know how many times individuals who haven't gotten saved yet are referred to as the elect? That would be zero. So it's Jesus to everybody else, everybody else nothing. Jesus is God's elect. So I heard a man on WYND's on there every morning. He's a brilliant man. He's a great Bible scholar and he's a wonderful teacher. And he says, yeah, and how many times did he tell you the Bible is translated wrong? Once a day? At least? Now listen, we're either going to believe the Bible or we're going to put our trust in men who criticize the Bible. I'm going to stay with the Bible. The Bible says in Isaiah, the Bible says in 1 Peter that Jesus Christ is God's elect. It never says that me and my children and my grandchildren are God's elect. It's Jesus Christ. Let's, let's keep going. Turn with me to... Well, uh, let's see. Um, 
1 Timothy 5.21, there are elect angels. Isaiah 45, Isaiah 65, there is an elect nation. Uh, that nation will be tried during the tribulation time, Matthew 24. We'll get back to that in just a minute. But let's go to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. And see if we can establish that nobody but Jesus Christ could be elect or the elect. And we can establish that quite easily from Romans chapter number 8. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good. Well, if the verse stopped there, we, we wouldn't know that at all. We'd be wondering why that was ever put in our Bible. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. So if you ever find yourself saying, well, I don't see how this any good is going to come out of this, you need to back up and say, do I love God? Because if you don't love God, you can't claim Romans 8, 28, because it's not about you. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose... For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be saved. That's not in the verse either. To be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. There's nobody predestinated until they're saved. How could you go out and tell a sinner, you're on your way to hell if you don't get saved, when he's predestinated to go to heaven? How could God command all men everywhere to repent if they were predestinated to have eternal life? The gospel is repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. If you were saved before the foundation of the world, you don't need to repent. But you weren't. Your destination wasn't fixed until you trusted Christ as your Savior. At that point, you're predestinated. And you're not predestinated to go to heaven. Nobody is. You're predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's just, we're just staying with the Bible now. All right, verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? You ready? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now, if you are elect, you cannot be condemned. There is only one person who ever came into this world who was never condemned. That's Jesus Christ. Now, I can prove that to you real simply. All you got to do is go back to the start of the chapter. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If there is therefore now no condemnation, then there is a time that there was condemnation. And if God's elect are not under condemnation, then you were not elect before you were saved. 
Hope you see that. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Well, nobody. But who shall lay anything to the charge of man? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. (laughs) That's a charge. There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. That's a charge. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That's a charge. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's a charge. You are charged by God as having been conceived in iniquity, having been born in sin, having gone astray from the womb, being impure in your thoughts and your words and your deeds and your actions, and being told that you must be born again and that if you don't repent, you're going to lose your soul. Romans 8 says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? then obviously you weren't elect until you got saved. Because there was plenty of charge against you. Who is he that condemneth? Well, I'll show you. John chapter number 3. Look at John chapter 3. Verse number 16. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world of the elect... I kid you not, that's how they quote it. You say, well, didn't the Bible say God so loved the world? Well, yes, but that's the world of the elect. You couldn't find that in any Greek manuscript on the face of the earth, much less a Bible. It's not anywhere. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Can can we sidetrack? Y'all are good swimmers. Let's let's just keep your finger in John 3 and and let's, let's deal with this. For God so loved the world, that means the world of the elect. Right? Okay, look at 1 John chapter 2. Let's see if it does. 1 John chapter 2. So when my Calvinist friends say, well, John 3.16, that's the world of the elect. I say, well, what about this? 1 John chapter 2. Verse number 2. And He is the propitiation for our sins. You'd think that'd be the saved people, right? Wouldn't it be? And John's not writing to the world or the, to the lost. He's writing to, uh, so he's provisionally for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I said, well, what about that? He said, well, no, it has to be the world of the elect. Jesus wouldn't have made propitiation for the sins of the whole world. When it says the world, that's the world of the elect. That's the chosen. All right. Verse 15. Love not the world of the elect, neither the things that are in the world of the elect. If any man love the world of the elect, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world of the elect, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world of the elect. And the world of the elect passeth away. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Well, it doesn't mean the world. There doesn't mean the world of the elect. It means, see, that's the trouble you get in when you add to God's word. The scripture says, add not thou unto his words, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. When you add of the elect to the world, you put your foot in a bear trap because 1 John chapter 2 is going to make it very, very clear that the world is the world, not the world of the elect. 
are you going to make the world the elect and then have three verses telling you not to love the world? God doesn't love the world. There's nothing in the world that's of God that's going to perish. Well, it doesn't mean that. Well, it can't mean it just mean that where you want it to mean that, and it doesn't mean that where you don't want it to mean that. It, it, you just got to leave the Bible alone. Adjust your theology. Don't adjust the Scripture. All right, anyway, back to John 3. Who is he that condemneth? Verse number 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. See, the world of the elect. Well, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Until you believe on Jesus Christ, you are condemned. So when Romans 8 says there is therefore now no condemnation, it's because there was condemnation. And if the elect are not condemned because they cannot be charged with any sin or with any crime, the elect has to be Jesus. It can't be anybody else. He's the only one that was not condemned. I was. If the elect are not condemned, or the elect is not condemned, then I wasn't elect until I got in Christ. And Romans 8 is the key and clincher to that. All right, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now look at that. It didn't say, as in Adam, all shall be made dead. The death is not a future thing. The death is on you from the moment you show up in this world. See that? In Adam, all die. Statement of fact. But, if you could get in Christ, you would be made alive. So you weren't alive, you didn't have life until you got in Christ. You couldn't have been elect, saved, chosen before the foundation of the world. You're in Adam before the foundation of the world, not in Christ. All right, let's go to Ephesians. Is that where we want to go? Yeah, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verse number 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, let, let, me, let me give you a little um, adding to the Bible that both sides do. For ye were spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. 
Spiritually dead is not a Bible term. It's a term that non-Calvinists come up with to try and argue with a Calvinist when they're stumped on this matter of being dead in trespasses and sins. I sin every single day. I am justified. God has declared me righteous. I am reckoned dead with Christ at Calvary. I am reckoned buried with Christ in, a, in Joseph's borrowed tomb. I am reckoned risen with Christ on resurrection morning. I am reckoned seated with Christ in heavenly places just as I was reckoned dead in trespasses and sins. We're not talking about the fact that I have no mind, no will, no conscience, no ability to think, no ability to feel sorrow or repentance or grief or shame or embarrassment or humiliation. We're talking about God's record books in heaven that determine the destiny of my soul. He said, I'm dead, though I'm a living, breathing, triune individual walking on the face of this earth with a will and a conscience and a heart and a mind. How can a lost man's conscience be seared with a hot iron if he doesn't have a conscience? How can he reach the place where he was past feeling if he never had any feeling to start with? So, spiritually dead is not a Bible term. When God looks at a lost man, he says, that man is dead in trespasses and sins. And when God looks at a saved man, he said, that man has eternal life, though he's on a respirator in a nursing home. It's reckoning. And, and when you start, just look, it, it doesn't matter which side you're on, you start adding words to the Bible, you're going to get yourself in a, in a position you can't defend and get yourself in a spot that's it's, all other ground is sinking sand. Just So anyway, uh, even and you with the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, you weren't God's child forever. You were a child of disobedience, following the devil, among whom also we all had our conversation time past, the lust of our flesh, and so forth. So that's our starting place. Now, what happened? Look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and verse number 9. Have made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. See, what? See we're predestinated. Not to be saved. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. You weren't predestinated until you trusted Christ. In whom also ye trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now look what I have to do to be predestinated. I have to trust the word of truth, having heard the word of truth, and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
when I do that, I am then predestinated. I'm not predestinated till I do that. Now, let me ask you something. If dead and trespasses and sins mean you have no spiritual life, and God has to quicken you because you're elect, and you're saved before you even know it, that's the teaching. How could I hear the word of truth if I'm dead? How could I believe the word that I heard, which means I have to rationally understand it, and I have to from my heart decide to embrace it? How could I do that if I'm dead like a dead man in a grave? I couldn't. So what we're dealing with is clear Bible statements versus a philosophical belief system. And the two are not compatible. You can be a Calvinist, and you can be a Bible believer. I don't see how you can be both. Because the Bible is pretty clear right here. That there's no predestination until I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting what I heard preached from the Word of God. That's what it says. Now, let's go to Titus chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 2. Titus 1. And Galatians chapter number 2. God's elect. Titus 1, Galatians chapter 2. Paul, Titus 1, 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. See, Paul's one of the elect, and that's why he had faith. Wait a minute. Who is God's elect according to Isaiah 42? Jesus Christ. Who is God's elect according to 1 Peter 2? Jesus Christ. Why why would God's elect become somebody else in Titus chapter number 1? We say, well, when God's elect put their faith in Jesus Christ, that's not what he said. According to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. But in due times manifested his word through preaching and is committed unto me, which committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Let me ask you something. If God made a promise before the world began, Before the world began, God made a promise. To whom did he make the promise? Nobody there but the Trinity. If God made this agreement, I am going to do such and such, and the result will be such and such, if that was made before the world began, That had to be an agreement between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That couldn't have been an agreement between God and a race of elect people that weren't made yet. Now, now wait a minute. The faith of God's elect before the world began resulted in God's ability to promise eternal life. Galatians 2. Galatians 2, 
verse 16. Who is God's elect? Okay. Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You know what that verse just said? Even your faith isn't good enough to save you. There wouldn't be any salvation were it not for the faith of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into this world believing that His Father would allow Him to save sinners if He shed His blood and died for them. Believing that if He laid down His life, His Father would raise Him from the dead. And Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, was buried and the third day Jesus rose again, according to the Scriptures. Isn't that the Gospel? Well, where are you in there? Where is anything you do in there? There is nothing in the gospel about you doing anything. The gospel is what Christ did for us. It's not anything we do for Him or because of Him. We tell the world, you can be saved solely on the merits of Jesus' work at Calvary. Will you believe that? So, I have eternal life tonight, but I don't have eternal life tonight because of my great faith. My faith fails. My faith is up and down. My faith is sometimes weak. My faith is sometimes non-existent. But I am saved according to the faith of God's elect. You want to see it again? Look at Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this is why I don't worry about losing my salvation. Well, what if your faith fails? My faith isn't keeping me. Well, what if you quit believing? My belief isn't keeping me. I am kept by the faith of God's elect. God's elect is Jesus Christ. I am saved by the faith of Jesus Christ. I am kept by the faith of the Son of God. So Titus 1.1 is still not about a group of people who had eternal life before they had eternal life. It's still not about a group of people who weren't weren't condemned while they were condemned. It's about Jesus Christ. And if we keep it about Jesus Christ, we don't have any problems with the Scripture. Let's see it again. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1, verse number 2. First Peter 1, well, let's, 
We'll start at 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered at Acts chapter 8, verse 1, the church, throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's the cross-reference. It matches perfectly, word for word. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, the foreknowledge of God provided that individuals could enter His elect Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and become bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh, and be reckoned, instead of dead in trespasses and sins, be reckoned in Christ. How would someone dead in trespasses and sins end up in Christ, that is, in God's elect? Well, by or through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not, I'm not trying to be condescending. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. You couldn't have been elect before the foundation of the world. Jesus had no blood before the foundation of the world. If you can only be elect through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, you couldn't have been elect when God made the heavens and the earth. You couldn't have been elect when God made the first man. You couldn't have been elect when Noah got on the ark. You couldn't have been elect when Abraham walked to the promised land. You couldn't have been elect when the children of Israel left on Passover night left Egypt. You couldn't have been elect one year before Jesus was born at Bethlehem because he had no blood. Come on now. Well, I just, I just believe in sovereign election and God chose from the foundation of the world uh, who were... He couldn't have. Because you can't be elect without the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ and Jesus did not shed His blood until one afternoon outside the city walls of Jerusalem on a cross at Calvary when His blood was shed for the remission of sins and then and only then could someone believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ be regenerated and taken out of Adam and put into Jesus Christ who is God's elect. Now, if it takes Jesus' blood, you weren't elect before Jesus came manifest in the flesh. It's that humanity of Christ. That thing's, it's bigger than you think. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, these three are one and have been for all eternity. But the man Christ Jesus has a starting place. God was manifest in the flesh with skin and bones and blood. And that blood was shed at Calvary. 
And because of that shed blood, you have an entrance into God's elect. And without that, you're sunk. I was thinking this afternoon, these parents walking around, their boys and girls, they got them in their costumes and they're going around from store to store begging downtown. Um, may as well get used to it. Before this thing's done, we'll probably all be begging. <laughs> <laughs> the way it's going. But anyway, I just got thinking, the greatest costume in the history of the world was when Jesus Christ took upon himself the form of a man. There's God disguised as one of us. And, and nobody, I mean, they couldn't see it. They could, it was just, it was the perfect disguise. They couldn't see. For 30 years, they couldn't see he was God. Then one day he started working those miracles and became evident. Then he rose from the dead. There's no doubt about it. But anyway, that's another story for another day. All right. Uh, Matthew 22. We don't have time for that one tonight. Um, John 14. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Uh, let's go to John 6. John chapter number 6. Did you know that Judas cast out devils? Did you know that Judas was transformed to an angel of light and a minister of righteousness? Is how you know that? After spending three and a half years together, that those 12 apostles were sitting around a table in an upper room. And Jesus said, this night one of you shall betray me. And every single one of them said, Lord, is it I? Not one of them looked at another and said, I bet it's Judas. I've had my eye on him for a long time. I knew there was something about that guy. Look, if you can spend three and one half years in that, in that type of intimate fellowship with 11 other men, and, and when Jesus says, somebody here is against us, nobody suspects, then he's, he had to be outwardly as righteous as the rest of them. He had to be doing the same work they were doing. He had to be buying into the, I mean, visibly at least, buying into the doctrine to the same extent they were. Nobody suspected Judas. Now look at John chapter 6. So, said, Brother James, don't you believe God has a chosen people? I do. I certainly do. But it's not Christians. It's Jews. Right. Yeah. Nation of Israel. And that's why Calvinists, which just boggles the mind that a Baptist could become a Calvinist, because Calvinists can't tell the church from Israel. They can't tell Christians from Jews. It's a fact. Well, what about God's chosen people? Uh, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that didn't turn into the church. <laughs> that got put on hold while God built his church, and he's going to take his church out and then come back and resume his dealings with Israel, which is why John Calvin didn't believe in a second coming or a millennial kingdom. If you're a Calvinist, don't tell anybody. <laughs> so, well, I'm a Calvinist, except for 95% of what he believed. <laughs> it's odd, isn't it? You don't believe in baby sprinkling. You don't believe in a state church. You don't believe in a priesthood. You, you say you believe in a rapture and a tribulation and a second coming. Why would you call yourself a Calvinist? Hope you don't believe that part about 
putting people to death who disagree with you. <laughs> it's what Calvin did. You guys disagreed with him on theology. He had him burned at the stake. The Bible says something about that too. It says, you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. I would, I'd be careful for us that as a Calvinist. Now, if you visit tonight, you say, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, get the Bible verse part. You don't even need the other part. The blessing. All right, John 6. Anyway, uh, you think God has a chosen people. I do. John 666. Ooh. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. That's a pretty good place to put a 666. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have, I not, have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, here, here's what I want you to see. We're not going to go into all the details about Judas and the devil and all that, but Judas is chosen. He's chosen by Jesus. And he gives himself to the devil, loses his soul, goes to hell. So this idea that God has a chosen people, of course he does. That doesn't mean you're saved. <laughs> Judas was chosen but he wasn't saved. He never got saved. All right, look at, um, let's try one more. Romans 11. Romans 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 1, Hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite. So who are his people? Israelites. Those are God's chosen people. Not Christians, not the church. Israelites. Now the Bible says in verse number 28 or 26. And so all Israel, who's he talking about? That would be Israel. Should be saved. As it is written, there should come out of Zion the Deliverer and should turn away ungodliness from USA. No, Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I should take away their sins. So he's talking about nation of Israel, correct? As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. Now you know what you've got to do to be saved? You've got to believe the gospel. And they're enemies of the gospel. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. You see that? God has an elect nation and He loves them, though they are the enemies of the gospel. Which means He's going to preserve the nation though millions within that nation have died and will die without salvation and lose their souls. The Bible's, Bible's clear, really clear. One more, one more, stop. Matthew 24. This is, this is the bugaboo. Matthew 24. 
So Jesus Christ is God's elect. And the nation of Israel are God's elect people. That is, he's chosen to bring about his earthly kingdom, earthly promises through those people. That's clear. All right, verse number 14. Now, we can't read all of this. Verse uh, 21, let's do that. For then should be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, known or ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, there's no way to go through all this tonight. We are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, voice of the archangel, trump of God, dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which alive remain shall be called together with them, meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise God. That's what we're looking forward to. In a moment, twinkling of eye, we'll be caught up. Bodies changed, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, when that's done... There is one week of years left from Daniel chapter 9 determined upon Daniel's people. That's not Baptists. And Daniel's holy city. That's not Nashville, head of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's not Pensacola. It's not Greenville. Okay? It's Jerusalem. And there's seven years left on God's calendar for His people Israel. Correct? For seven years, 21 judgments from God are going to fall on those people. And the devil, knowing he has a short time, is going to try to exterminate the nation of Israel so God can't fulfill the promises He made them regarding the earthly kingdom. And unless those days were shortened, the elect would be wiped out. Now, the elect can't possibly be the church because we're not going to be here for the Great Tribulation. So, so to say the church is God's elect, you've either got to put the church in the Tribulation, which I shouldn't have said that, now they'll do it. We're not going through the Tribulation. Tribulation not for us. It's time of Jacob's trouble. It's the finishing of, of Israel's iniquity. So the elect are in the tribulation. There's an elect nation, Israel. God's going to save them. Save the nation. Preserve the nation. There's an elect one, Jesus Christ. And if you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God will put you in His Son so that you can have hope of eternal life on the basis of the faith of God's elect. Not your faith, His faith. You put your faith in Him and His faith will get you home to heaven and eternal life. Now, in case you're wondering, except those days should be shortened. Revelation says, Great Tribulation, 1260 days. Da 42 months. Daniel says, a week, a week of years, seven years. 42, 42, 1260, 1260, seven years. So, if God three times has told you the number of days, the number of months, the number of years, when he says except those days should be shortened, he can't mean fewer days. Would that break his word? So the God who created the heavens and the earth put the sun, moon, and stars in their places and makes them run so you can set your watch by them, you know what he's going to do during the tribulation? 
so that every last Jew isn't slaughtered? He's going to wind the stem on the watch of this universe just a little tighter and make those days go faster than they've ever gone before. Interesting. Didn't he make the sun stand still in Gibeon? Didn't he make the shadow go back on the dial in Hezekiah's courtyard? It's God's universe. He can speed it up. He can slow it down. He can stop it. During the tribulation, he's going to speed it up. Now, doesn't it make you wonder? Because even young people now say, it seems like time goes by so much faster than it used to. What if it does? What if every clock in the world still runs on those the same 24 hours, the same 60 minutes in an hour, but what if it's going, the whole thing is going faster than it did 50 years ago? That's what he said. He, said, he didn't say I'd shorten the number of days. He said the days would be shortened. So anyway, that's just an interesting thing to, uh, to think about. Now, to, I don't know about you. To me, years fly by. Days, sometimes they drag by. Sermons, when the air's not working, that's like, I mean, we're in the Great Tribulation. We're hot. It's, it's, it's comfortable. But anyway, it's probably a trick because we didn't give any treats and, who knows what's out there? All right. So, yes, sir. Just a point of clarification. Yes, sir. I know you mentioned you know, that we have the elect angels being the elect nations, and then Jesus Christ is the elect. But it is correct for us to be called elect as well after we're saved and then Christ. Just like after we're saved, we're predestinated. So election is, is not a before the foundation of the world thing. Just like I'm a Christian now. I wasn't a Christian before. I'm a child of God now. I wasn't a child of God before. I am part of God's elect now. I wasn't a part of God's elect before. They're, the titles belong to Jesus. We just get in on them. And the best, the best way to picture it, and again, everything that illustrates the Bible is being destroyed in your society. Making it harder and harder. But you know what happens? Down the aisle comes miss... Jones, and waiting for her is Mr. Smith. And when he says, all my earthly goods I thee endow, it is evidenced by the fact that she leaves that place bearing his name. That was not her name. But that day she left with his name. I was not elect, I was not a child of God, I was not a Christ one, I was none of those things. But one day I was joined to Jesus Christ and I left with his name. And so that's, that's, where, that's where the theological systems get it goofed up. They try to make it something that's, that's yours without Jesus and we don't have anything without Jesus. Nothing at all, so amen. All right, Father, thank you for your word, the Holy Bible, and what it says, and help us, Lord, to understand it and comprehend it, never, never change it if it doesn't line up with something we, we want to believe or thought we believed or were told we should believe, and help us, Lord, to love our brethren, and we know a lot of saved people um, believe the things that 
Calvin taught and his followers taught and uh, help us, God, to love them and be gracious to them and um, tell them they're wrong and hope they'll see what's right and see what's true and help them, Lord, not to be hateful and mean-spirited toward those of us that see this matter as we see it. And um, Just pray, God, you'd bring us all into greater certain knowledge of the truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.